Life is full of trials. Trials sometimes come to us like hurdles, just one at a time. We just keep jumping over them. Other times they come like a giant mountain. They come towering over us, bringing us to despair. Sometimes trials wear us out quickly. Or other times they weigh, us, they weigh on us as we go through them year after year after year. And they can come in so many different ways. Trials can be just the sickness that we, uh, that we get just through the normal routine of life. Trials can be a hard relationship, a difficult boss. Trials can be a bully at school, the sudden loss of a child. Trials can be uh, a painful marriage and a, or a hard divorce. It can be a sudden diagnosis. It can be the taking care of a loved one with a disability or the taking care of a loved one as they get older. It can be simply as your own body begins to fail as we get older. Listen, we are in a global pandemic right now. We've been social distancing for about five weeks. Life has kind of turned upside down. Many people have lost their jobs. Others have had reduced hours. Regardless, finances are tight. Um, some people have gotten sick. Some people have been hospitalized. Some people have died. And so it's at times like this that I think we're reminded of our weaknesses and limitations as humans, which honestly I think we tried to deny because I think we, we believe that we are invincible and immortal. And the re one of the reasons I think that is we got 15 years of blockbuster movies under the title Avengers. I know that I resonate with those movies. I feel like Captain America or I want to feel like Captain America. But it's when we're in trials and pandemics and suffering and difficulties that we're reminded of our weakness, of our limitations, that one of the slogans of the world is a lie. You see, the world says you are enough. But we know that as soon as we're in a trial, that as soon as we're in a difficult situation, we know clearly that we're not enough. We know that we need help. We see our sin, the sinfulness of the world, and we need a Savior. We need a refuge. And so today we're going to be in the book of Psalms. Psalms are like a treasure chest full of the riches of God. They give a cry to the voice of our soul. And so we're going to be in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is written for times of trouble. They're written to give us comfort. They're pointing us to God as a mighty fortress that we can run to who will protect us. And so what I want to do now is I want to read Psalm 91. And I want to encourage you to stand as we read God's word. And so when we do at Timberline, we normally stand because we believe in the sufficiency and the authority of God's word. So standing is simply a, my, a means of reminding ourselves and of honoring God. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come to your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray that as we come to your word today and as we look at your text, that, Lord, we would experience the blessing of your presence and your protection. Give us understanding today of your word. God, I pray that all those who hear today would be drawn to you, would place their trust in you, and would experience the blessing of knowing you as their God. God, be with us now as we study your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so let's first just give a little context. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm. Some say David, some say Moses, but we're not sure, and therefore we're not sure of the context of this psalm. But that's okay, because the fact that we don't know it means it can be applied even more broadly. Now, the psalm is broken into about three parts. In verses 1 and 2, the, the psalmist is introducing the God who he takes refuge in. In verses 3 through 13, he's inviting you and I to take refuge in this God. And then in verses 14, 15, and 16, we read that God himself gives a promise to those who will trust in him, to those who will take refuge in him. And so let's make our way through uh, one section at a time. We'll begin with the psalmist, my refuge, the God in whom I trust. And in verses 1 and 2, what we see is that the psalmist gives us this high and exalted view of God. He wants us to know that we can come to God at any time, in any trouble, and He is able to protect us. And He does this in two ways. Number one, He gives us four metaphors for the way God protects us. Look, it says, He is our shelter, our shadow, our refuge, and our fortress. You see, what He wants us to know is that no matter what we're going to, we can run to God. He is a safe place. He is a secure place. He is able to offer us protection. He wants us to know that God is an impenetrable fortress of love and comfort for those who come to him. That when God places his arms of steel around us, that we are safe, that we are secure. Secondly, the psalmist also gives us four names for God. Now, this is important because all the other nations around Israel would be worshiping just a plethora of gods, but Israel worships one God. And so the psalmist wants us to know the God that we're to trust in, the God that offers this protection. And so he gives us these four names of God. And these names are the way that God has revealed himself in Scripture. It's the way he's revealed his power as creator, sustainer, as the God who's formed people uh, called Israel, and how he's rescued them out of Egypt, brought the plagues upon the Egyptians, parted the Red Sea. They're names that reveal how God has sustained them in the wilderness by bringing water from a rock, that as they traveled in the dry and dusty desert, that he provided manna every morning for them. And so it's this God, the God of the Bible, that he's saying, I want you to know this God. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to read them, that we would grow in our knowledge of God, that we would see him as the one, as our shelter, as a fortress of love. 
And so these names that he gives us are Most High, Almighty, Lord. Lord in all capitals refers to Yahweh. And then we have the word God there. Again, these are all ways that God has revealed himself as the one powerful God who not only created all things, sustains all things, rules all things, but knows his people, walks with them, and provides with them. And so the psalmist introduces this psalm by saying, hey, this is my God. This is whom I take refuge in. And now in verses 3 through 13, he's saying, will you take refuge in this God also? And so let's see how he unpacks the fact that God is this mighty fortress of love. What does that mean for you and me? What does that look like? And so uh, we'll start with uh, verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10, I think, summarize really the heart of what the psalmist is inviting us to understand. In verses 9 and 10, we read this. Because you made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague will come near your tent. That's the promise. Now think about that. Think about the the size of that promise. No evil, no plague. The promise is if you dwell with this God, you are protected. And so notice, notice how the psalmist unpacks this. Verse 3 says, God will deliver you from the snare. In verse 4, we're told that God will cover you like a mother hen, like like she spreads her wings over her young, or like like a, a, uh, a soldier with shield and buckler. Now, we're to, I think we're to take those two images together because honestly, when we read of like a mother hen putting her feathers around her young, that doesn't quite strike fear in our enemies. But when we think about the fact that God is comparing himself to a mother hen in the sense that he loves his children and with his warmth, his gentleness, and he love, he wraps us close to him. But yet with the fierceness of a soldier. He protects us. It's those two images that we're to hold together. The love and the warmth and the gentleness of the mother hen, the fierceness of the soldier. That's how God protects us. And then look at verse 11. We're told that he will send an army of angels to protect you. And notice the words, in all your ways. Have you ever wondered if there's guardian angels? I think this verse kind of says that there is. In fact, we see angels surrounding Jesus after he's tempted, uh, after he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And so, so what I want to do now is I want to say, so what are we protected from? What does it mean that we're protected in all our ways? What is the scope? What is the extent of God's protection? And so we begin just to see he lists it out in this psalm. Notice how he says, from the snare of the fowler, from deadly pestilence, maybe like a pandemic, from terrors of the night, maybe an enemy raid, arrows by day, war, pestilence at night, something they didn't even see coming, destruction at noonday, some type of force coming against them that appears that they have no means of defending against. You see, this list, it refers to enemies that are human, non-human, planned, unplanned, seen, unseen, Now, this list summarizes, it summarizes all the obstacles, the enemies, the threats that a people would have as they wander through the desert or or possibly under King David as he's establishing his throne constantly at war. But here's the point. Life is full of trials. Some you see, some you don't. 
Some are sudden and some come slowly. But regardless of what the trial is, the one who trusts in God is protected. Do you know that? You're protected if you trust in God. So let me ask you, what trial are you in? What, what is causing you anxiety? Where do you feel weak? Where is your battle right now? What threatens your joy or, or even what threatens your very existence? Let me ask you, is God your refuge? Are you running to God or are you running to something else? Are you trusting in your own abilities, your own powers, your own resources? Do you know that there is safety and protection in God alone? So what I want to do is, so let's see what exactly this psalm is promising us. Because are we to understand when it says, no evil will come upon you, no plague upon your tent, that there is nothing bad that will ever come into the life of a Christian? Well, we know that's not true. God is not promising that as believers, that as those who trust in him, we will not endure difficult times. We know that the story of Job in the Bible, Job is said to be a righteous man. And yet he went through great difficulties and great trials. We see Daniel. Daniel was taken into captivity when Babylon came and destroyed the southern kingdom. And yet we're told that Daniel trusted in God, yet he was taken as an exile. So we know that this text is not saying that we won't endure trials. In fact, look at verse 15. It says, God promises to be with us in trouble and rescue us. What, what does that mean? That, that implies that as believers, we will go through difficult times. So then, what exactly is this protection that God is offering? And so let's just walk through a couple things here. Number one, God does physically provide and protect his people. We need to know that. We see that all throughout Scripture. In fact, just this last week, I witnessed, I witnessed a person who gave finances to another person in need that it would, that it would help them as they, were, uh, as they were in need of financial help. I, I saw how a woman went to the hospital with an illness. She was prayed for. Hours later, she was released and she was healed. All throughout scripture, we see testimonies of God's faithfulness and the way he protects his people. Think about in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. The entire Jewish nation is about to be exterminated because of a tyrant named Haman. And yet what does God do? He protects his people. God physically protects his people. You see, when we come into the Bible, we see a God who is powerful, who creates all things, rules all things, knows all things, and at the same time, he walks with his people. He walks with us. He knows us. He sees exactly what you're going through, and he helps us. He hears our prayers. Do you know that? That the God who created everything hears when you pray. But what about the times when, God, when God's protection does not mean prevention of a trial? What about when we do walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness? What about when death does come? What about when we do lose our jobs? What about when we don't have enough money? What about when we do, uh, when we do experience the plague of a, of a sickness, of a disease? What then? And so I, I want to say two things about that. Number one, God accomplishes great purposes through trials. Uh, many of you are reading Philippians 1 with me. In Philippians, we see, uh, we see that Paul is in prison, and yet he says the gospel is advancing. 
He says more people know the gospel and the gospel is being proclaimed by more people because I am in prison. So even though Paul is bound and in this trial of suffering, the gospel is going further than it ever has before. And of course, the greatest example we have in all of scripture of how God uses trials to accomplish great purposes is the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who created all, all that exists, the one who sustains all that exists, comes clothed in humanity, where eventually he will go to the cross, crucified by the very people he created. The most horrific event in all of history. And yet, why does he do it? So that he would pay the price of our sin. So that we who believe in him would be forgiven. That we would have our sins washed away. That we'd be saved and brought into a relationship with God. The cross testifies of the goodness of God. Of how God can use trials. Trials that appear to have no good in them. And to accomplish great purposes. Romans 8.28 It says this. And we know that for those who know God, those who love God, all things work together for their good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I just want, just let those words just wash over you, just comfort you today. And whatever trial you're in, in God's mysterious sovereignty, he's actually using it for your good. In fact, let me say this. If you're an unbeliever right now, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, and, and you're going in a trial, no matter how difficult it is, very, God's purpose very well might be right now that God is exposing your weaknesses, exposing your limitations, exposing your sins, exposing the idols in your life, and he's doing so that you would be drawn towards him. He's doing so that you would trust in him. He's doing so for your good that you would know him and love him. So I encourage you, trust in Jesus Christ today. Experience his blessing and protection. Next, we see that God gives grace and mercy so we can endure the trials that we are in. So we see that he accomplishes great purposes in, the, in them, and he gives us grace and mercy while we're in these trials. One, one of my favorite verses, and I know Bill, Bill, if you're watching this, uh, this is one of his favorite verses, Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Hear this. God's protection does not always deliver us out of a trial, but it delivers us in the midst of a trial. He gives us grace and mercy to sustain us as we're in the trial. Think about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't saved from the fiery furnace. They were saved in the fiery furnace. Daniel wasn't saved from the lion's den. He was saved in the lion's den. Joseph experienced slavery, uh, was wrongly accused. And yet, through all of these trials, God gave him grace and mercy. He would persevere and one day be made ruler of all of Egypt. Do not think that because of the trial you're in, God has forgotten you or abandoned you. God gives grace and mercy so we would be able to endure. In fact, I was thinking earlier, in Luke chapter 22, I believe. In Luke 22, Jesus comes to the apostle Peter. And he says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you. Saying, look, you're about to go through a trial. You're about to go through something very hard. And this is what Jesus says. But I've prayed for you, Peter. 
but I've prayed for you. And I just want you to think about it. No matter what trial you're going in, the role of Christ in our life is a high priest who intercedes for us, who prays for us, that you would have the grace and mercy in whatever trial you're going in right now, that you would stand firm, that you would endure, that his grace would wrap around you, that you'd feel the warmth of his feathers as they they cover you to protect you, that you would endure. Let me ask you, do you need grace? Do you need mercy? Do you need strength today? Come to God. You are not alone. When you are weak, God is infinitely strong, and he always is able to supply what it is that we need. Come to him today. Receive his grace. So let me just, let me just summarize then what we saw. God protects his people by removing the sting of evil. Do you hear that? God protects his people by removing the sting of evil. What I mean is that there's no trial that comes your way that ultimately can hurt you and destroy you. There's no trial that can separate you from the love of Christ. There's no trial that can rob you of the love of Christ. No matter what it is that you go through right now, as you run to Christ, His grace is there for you to strengthen you, that you can endure, that no matter what the world throws at you, It will not be able to destroy you. Not because of your strength, not because of your abilities or resources, but because of the God who protects you. And the cross is God's exclamation mark that he will will provide the grace that we need. Pray that you know that. So, So what does it mean that we live this out? It means that we are confident conquerors in Christ. That's what it means to know there's nothing in this world that can ultimately destroy us because of the security we have in God. Look at verse 13 in Psalm 91. It says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample under your foot. God promises no matter what threat, no matter how deadly, how deceptive, how strong it is like a lion, it does not matter. You will trample them. Because of God's protection, because of God's strength, because of God's provision. I mean, think about it. If God is on our side, what is it that we need to fear? Do you hear that? What is it? The almighty creator, sustainer, ruler of all things knows you and loves you. What do we need to fear? It's this truth that Polycarp in the first century or the second century uh, who is a disciple of John. He's, he's arrested and he's, and he's tied to a stake. And they said, look, we will burn you at this stake unless you deny the gospel. And he basically says, light a match. I will not deny my Savior. It's this truth that fuels Christians to pack up their belongings and to move to, to, move to locations where physical, pers- per, uh, physical persecution is a present reality. It's this truth that enables Christians to have joy in the midst of hunger, in the midst of needs, in the midst of pain. It's this truth that in Acts chapter 4, we see that the disciples, they're arrested and they're brought before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, you will not proclaim Jesus. And they say, yes, we will. They openly uh, defy the authorities for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel because they say there is no God greater than this and he will protect us. Now, let me give a word of caution here. 
This is not calling us to be reckless. This is not calling us to act foolishly and think that we can do anything. In fact, we see that because in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is actually, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. Satan comes to him and he tempts him and he actually tempts him with verses 11 and 12. There, Satan says this to Jesus, that why don't you jump off the high peak of the temple and God's angels will come and they will grab you and your foot won't even touch the dirt. Jesus, why don't you do that? Why don't you, why don't you see how powerful God's protection is? And this is how Jesus responds. In Matthew chapter 4, he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Look, the promises of God's protection is not so we act foolish, but it's so that we would have confidence, so that we would have assurance, so that we would have hope, so that we would know that our God is present with us in whatever trial we are in. And that we can stand firm. And that if the Spirit leads us to run head first into a pandemic, into a hospital, and save people, and wrap our arms around them, and love them, then we will do so. For we do not need to fear the things of this world because we are held secure in the love of God. But now I want to look at this last section. In this last section, God himself is going to give a promise. In fact, he gives eight promises, but he also gives three conditions for us to receive these promises. So let's see what that is. We're just going to walk through these promises beginning in verse 14. God promises he will deliver us, he will protect us, he will be with us in trouble, that we'll never be alone, that he will rescue and honor us, that he will satisfy us with long life, and that he will show us his salvation. I mean, hear what we have here. We have the Almighty God, the one who speaks creation, the one who brought plagues down on the Egyptians, the one who, with the blast of his nostrils, parts the Red Sea, saves his people, provides for his people in the wilderness, establishes a kingdom for his people, and he's the one who says, I will satisfy your soul. Do you know that? That's what he promises. That's what all of these promises are ultimately about. I will satisfy you. I want you to think about how good that is. Because what we know is that death reigns in this world. Death comes for all people. Death is said to be the leveler of all man. It doesn't respect any man. It comes for the rich and for the poor. Because of death, the heart of man is constantly anxious. We either try to deny it, to avoid it, or delay it. It threatens every kingdom and it threatens every possession that you have. But notice, in the threat that all of humanity feels, God says that I, with long life, I will satisfy you and show him my salvation. That's what he wants us to know. That he will rescue us. That we can come to God and he is a fortress of love. He will wrap his arms of steel and we will feel the warmth of the mother hand wrapping us close to us, close to him. That we'd be safe, that we'd be secure, and nothing could ever separate us from his love. But there's conditions, because we know that not everyone is safe. And we know, even in God's word, it says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. So there's, there's a condition that must be met if we're actually going to receive this protection. If we're going to receive the blessing of God's uh, presence and his protection of eternal life, of our souls being satisfied. So what are those conditions? So he gives three. 
We'll look at them first. Uh, verse 14, the first part. Because we hold fast to God in love, he promises to deliver us. Now, holding fast to God means we fixate our eyes on God. It means that we say, this God that I love, this is the God I will worship. This is the God I hope in. This is the God I trust in. This is the God I seek to please with all my life. This is the God I believe that created all things, knows all things, sustains all things. It's this God that sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. So we, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We hold fast to God in love. So he says, if you hold fast to God, if you trust in him, know that he will deliver you. Secondly, also in verse 14, it says, because we know God's name, he promises to protect us. Well, to know God's name means that we know the very character of God. And how does God, and how do we know God's name? Well, we know it through his word. Again, remember earlier, the psalmist gives four names for God, ways that God has revealed himself that we would know he's able to protect us, the way that we would know that he is the only one who is able to offer us this promise of being a fortress, of being a shelter, of being a refuge, of being a shadow that we can run to. He's the only one who can satisfy our souls and give us long life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to know God in his word. One of the ways that we fixate our eyes upon God is in his word. In fact, I would say that's a primary way we do that. Because if we don't know his word, we don't know who this God is. And so let us be, let us be a people that hunger for the word of God. Let us seek to be satisfied every day with the very word of God. That our souls would rejoice in the salvation and the assurance that we have. Now the last condition he says in verse 15, because we call out to God, God promises to answer us. Man, I just, do you, do you, just, do you feel the, the humbling in that? That God says, look, when you, when you speak, I will listen. I mean, I, I don't always listen to my kids. My kids don't always listen to me. We don't listen to each other all the time. And yet God, the one who rules everything, the one who holds everything says that I always will hear when you cry and I will answer you. Do you hear the joy in that? The blessing in that? In fact, Jesus in Matthew 7, he wants us to know this truth. And so he says, look, even if your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father, when we cry out to him, he hears us, he knows us, and he answers us in the best way possible. So what are these conditions? What is it that, that God is laying forth? What is it that the psalmist is saying? Okay, if you're going to receive this protection, you need to do these things, which ultimately they're to fixate your eyes on God, which really what the psalmist is saying is that we need to have faith in God. That's what he's saying. The one who believes in God, the one who has faith in God, will experience God as his protector, as his shield, as his refuge, as his fortress of love. In fact, this is really how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. This is what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So here's the question. Here's the question. Will you trust in Jesus? That's the question. There's no other question. Will you come and experience his protection, his grace, his mercy, his love, his warmth? Will you believe in Jesus today or will you deny it? Because there's really only two ways to live. We either reject this God, we, we say that I don't need God's protection. I'm going to trust in my own abilities, my own wisdom, my own power, my own resources. And when evil comes, then you'll explain it like the Stoic and just say, well, Bad stuff happens. You'll explain it like the Hindu who believes in karma and says, well, you probably did something bad, which is why this happened to you. You'll believe uh, what the prosperity gospel says. Well, the reason bad things happen is just because you didn't have enough faith. God wanted to help you, but you didn't have enough faith. Those are all false gospels. Those are all lies of this world. And what we know is that no matter what happens, if you reject God, that there's a day coming when he returns that you will experience his judgment. And there is no escape from that. And what I would say to you is that the, the, this pandemic and, and sickness and all the trials and all these things of life are really God's just wake-up call saying, look, these are all shadows of a much greater judgment. These are all shadows of a, of a wrath that is going to come that if you do not believe in God, you will experience the eternal torment of your souls under his wrath. So that, that's if we don't want to build on the rock of Jesus Christ. If we want to build where we want to. If we want to believe in what we want. If we want to put our house on the sand, we are promised that we will suffer destruction. But if we build on the rock, on the rock of Jesus Christ, God says, oh, I will protect you. Oh, I will deliver you. Oh, I will satisfy your very soul. I will give you long life no matter what comes your way. You can know that I have purposed it for your good, for my glory, God says. And he will give us this grace and the strength to endure it that he will either give us grace and we will be rescued from it and never experience the trial, or he will give us the grace we need to, to go in the midst of the trial. All with the assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So I want to encourage you today to trust in this God. He's inviting us to. And, and, and the sweetness of the gospel is that even this faith that is required to believe in God is supplied to us by his grace. Do you know that? Even the faith that he says, look, you need to trust in me. And even the ability to trust in him, even that desire in your heart right now that says, I want this protection. I want this God. I want this, this, um, this offering of God that satisfies my soul. I want this. That's God's grace working in you right now. And so I encourage you, to cry out to him and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins. Satisfy my soul with, with eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. So I want to pray now. Um, I want to invite you, if you're a believer, to come into God's word. 
to pray to him knowing that he's your fortress of love. And if you're an unbeliever, I invite you to believe in him today. Let's pray. Father, Father, this, this text is so glorious. You have given us a text that tells us that you will satisfy us, that you will protect us, that you give us eternal life. And all of that's by your grace. All of that's by your mercy. It's not because we deserve it. If anything, we just deserve your wrath. We deserve your judgment because of our sin. And yet because of your goodness and mercy and love, you offer salvation. You offer protection. You offer satisfaction for our soul. And I pray that we would know that. Lord, I pray for the believer today that, they would, that their heart would just deepen in its love for you. And Lord, I pray for the unbeliever, that if they have not trusted in you, that they would trust in you today. They would cry out to you as their God and their Savior, knowing you have sent Jesus Christ, and that only through Jesus is their forgiveness of sins. Only in Jesus is their eternal life. God, I pray that they would make that decision today and experience your blessing, your protection, and your presence today, that they would experience you as their fortress of love. In your name, Jesus, amen. Hey, real quick, I, I want to say that if you don't have a Bible um, or if you made a decision today and you want to trust in Jesus or you want to know more about Jesus, I encourage you, uh, send me an email and I'll either send you a Bible, uh, give you whatever it is that you need, uh, supply resources for you, pray with you, talk with you. Email is nick at timberlinebc.org. Feel free to send me that email. I'd love to talk with you today.